Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 131 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me is the only man I'd want to land on the moon with, my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hello, everyone. This week, we are talking about one of the most anticipated films of the year for both of us. And you know what they say. With great expectations comes great responsibility, right? Someone definitely says that? I think so. I can't quite recall if it's that specific way, but whatever. Okay. Close enough. Well, we came in as big fans of Damien Chazelle and the team behind this film, and so we are thrilled that they did not disappoint. I can't remember a two-week span of new releases that were this good in a long time, especially from the feels perspective, and I can't wait to dig into our experiences with First Man. But first, Patrick, is there anything that you would like to catch us up on before we roll into that conversation? Yeah, this week I have been sort of intrigued by the amount of original content that comes from digital services. I know with Warner Brothers and whoever, with all this talk about new streaming services and why did I give up cable when I'm buying 12 streaming services that basically equal a cable subscription, blah, 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 blah. And it got me thinking about the fact that Netflix, who's been around probably the longest of these big streaming companies, how much original content they have produced. I mentioned Magic for Humans, that was an original TV series from Netflix coming out, um, you know, Stranger Things being a big phenomenon in the last couple of years. And there was one particular movie that kind of came across my radar. Uh, and the, the movie is Sarah Burgess. Sierra Burgess is a loser. Um, and I, I don't know if that wouldn't grab someone's attention. If you have a title like that, uh, there's some intrigue there, but I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I have a soft spot in my heart for any movies that take place during high school, whether it's your, you know, early aughts of like, she's all that and 10 things I hate about you, that kind of stuff. Love those kinds of movies. And uh, really any movie that, that takes place in high school, whether it's a, you know, a cheesy romantic comedy, drama, whatever, I'm always going to gravitate towards that teen angst. I guess it came from the breakfast club love that I had back in the day and, and John Hughes in particular, but this is a movie that is about uh, a girl named Sierra Burgess, obviously, obviously, who is a not so attractive girl. She's a little overweight and she gets a text from a good looking guy who doesn't know that he's actually texting her. Come to find out he thinks he's texting the hot cheerleader in high school. And so he thinks he's talking to this girl named Veronica. Sierra is talking to him not telling him that. And so the whole movie, at least the first half of the movie, deals with this kind of text-based relationship that she has with him. You know, she's not telling him that she's not this hot cheerleader, but she's not not telling him either. And the movie is really centered on her relationship with with him, a relationship that she has with her best friend and trying to kind of deal with all of this, this should I be doing this, should I not? Um it starts to include her relationship with Veronica, who she recruits to get her help in sort of playing into this deception in different ways. And there's a lot of kind of lighthearted humor, but there's some really good drama in it. 
And the the whole narrative bleeds into sort of, sort of a Cyrano de Bergerac type thing at some point. And I came away really enjoying it. it it's not like a five-star movie, like go out and see this. But if you've got the streaming service, it's definitely worth checking out because it captures what I think is a great picture of what it's like to be a, a teenager, an awkward teenager, not just someone who might be overweight, but someone who is in the outskirts of the, the, the cool, the cool kids. I was part of that group. I had my own kind of group of people who weren't really outcasts, but we, we weren't, we weren't the cool kids. That's for sure. We weren't, oh, we were of, the cool kids. Don't, don't let him fool you listeners. We were the cool kids. <laughs> we weren't hanging out with Jeff Nichols. Let me just say that we weren't doing that. Jeff Nichols wasn't and, a cool kid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we didn't anyway, say that on air. I, okay. I, I, dig- I digress. The, the fact is, what, what I really pulled away from this is that the character of Sierra Burgess comes across not as someone who you want to feel sorry for. Like she carries herself in a way that is extremely confident and that plays into her growth as a character. You find out about some of her vulnerabilities. You find out about some of her strengths and her weaknesses. She comes from two parents who are incredibly successful. Um, her dad is a established author and her mom is a motivational speaker both are very good looking and at one point i believe she's asked you know how did i come from from this right but i love the fact that her character is not one that's typical not one that you're typically saying oh man i hope she wins but one that you feel like wow she's pretty confident in her skin and it's not that confidence that says yeah i'm i'm big and i'm proud no it's just okay I, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to rattle me. That's okay. In fact, at one point, Veronica calls her Frodo in, in, in a bathroom scene. And she's like, I believe you're speaking of Quasimodo. And she explains who Quasimodo is and who Frodo Baggins is. And she goes, well, yeah, but you still suck. And she's like, yeah, I knew what you meant. And then she just walks away and I'm like, dude, that's pretty incredible. The fact that you can carry yourself that way. So I find myself really, really enjoying it. Uh, like I said, it's not like a phenomenal movie, like you got to go out and see it. But it's definitely one that I would recommend anybody who has the Netflix service to spend an hour and a half getting uh, getting entertained by. It's really good. Well, interesting. Uh, yeah, that sounds like something on Netflix that people might like. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think you would. I know you're that's, that's where you and I, that's where our tastes diverge. And I'm okay with that. I know that's why we have differences. It's okay. You know, it is funny, though, that you bring this up, because you're right. You know, It's been a conversation piece just this week in the Facebook group. And then uh, Don Shanahan's column on our social media feeds and on our website, um, what we learned this week that he puts out on Fridays, he talked about how Warner Brothers is now talk, discussing having a new streaming service, and we are in this age where everybody wants to have their own streaming service, and we are just overloaded with digital content. So um, it is fun to see some of these little unknown ones pop up because they can be worth your time, as well as the ones that the studios actually put marketing behind. Right. Well, I'm going to do a couple quick things and then make a recommendation. Um, the quick things are I had the opportunity to do a little extra Star is Born talk with our friends from Real World Theology last week. So if you're interested in that and you dig film and theology, you can check me out talking with Mikey and MJ on the Real World Theology podcast. You can find that everywhere that you listen to podcasts uh, and also realworldtheology.com. It was a lot of fun. 
to kind of come at that film from a little bit of a different angle than uh, Patrick and I explored. And then also wanted to mention that I saw Goosebumps 2 on Halloween. I think that released this week <laughs> kind of goes uh, under the radar uh, in the shadow of things like First Man. Uh, but I, I do want to say this was a disappointing film for me, Patrick. I really like the movie Goosebumps that came out a couple of years ago. You know, stars Jack Black as R.L. Stein, And I don't know, there was something charming about it. And uh, this one just came off as a lot of sequels come off. Generic and cliche and boring. Uh, it was just fine. Nothing to speak of. And unfortunately, that's kind of two misses in the hid- kids' Halloween movie realm for me this summer. I was hoping that either this or House with a Clock on Its Walls would be really, really good and, you know, give us a new movie that we could watch every year. But unfortunately, nope, we're going to stick with the Goosebumps movie from a couple years ago as our annual uh, revisiting. And the other thing I wanted to mention is, so basketball season is about to start. The NBA tips off next week uh, on Tuesday. I am incredibly excited about that. As a Laker fan, I have lived through some bad years recently. I can't say that I need anybody to feel sorry for me because I have plenty of championships to fall back on. But we do have the best basketball player in the land now, uh, literally on our team, uh, the king of basketball. So now that LeBron is here, my hype level for this season has gone sky high. Uh, I'm very, very excited, and I've been getting back into it, uh, playing my NBA 2K basketball game and uh, getting myself fantasy basketball team draft done and things like that. Well, there is a documentary series that recently came out on ESPN+. And if you're not familiar with ESPN+, it's this new service that ESPN has kind of tagged on to their Insider subscription. And you can also get it separately. And they're releasing content. And so it, it gives you special access to certain sporting events, things that most of us don't care about or are obscure for fans of teams that, you know, maybe not have, don't have like major markets and such. Or soccer. There's a lot of soccer on there. Um, but it also has this original programming going on. And lo and behold, this is incredible. So this documentary is by Dan Clores. He's done some really wonderful work before. It is 20 hours, Patrick. It is 10 parts in two hour blocks. Or if you watch it on the website, you can actually watch it in, I think, 60 something little segments um, and little little snapshot stories. And it basically starts at the creation of basketball in the YMCA uh, all the way to, I guess now, I haven't gotten that far. I'm only a couple of episodes in, but I am blown away by this. And it's really going to throw a wrench in my plans to start watching those Oscar award screeners that I'm getting to try and make sure I'm prepared for awards voting at the end of the year because I really want to watch all 20 hours of this. It is supremely interesting filmmaking. I mean, it's like a docu- it's like a basketball documentary version that Ken Burns would make. Okay, that's how good it is. It is packed with interviews, archival footage. I learned just tonight about the 1972 Olympics uh, in in Munich, where the U.S. actually played Russia for a gold medal. I had no idea what happened in this basketball game or that it ever took place. It brought me to tears watching the players talk about what went down and uh, how this actually played out. It was just amazing, amazing historical stuff that I didn't know anything about. So if you're a basketball fan, uh, it is locked behind that paywall of ESPN+, Plus. but if you're an ESPN insider, 
uh, subscriber, you should already have access to it. But regardless, seek this out. This is 20 hours of basketball, like, just meat that you do not want to miss. It, it reminds me of a video documentary version of Bill Simmons' incredible book, The Book of Basketball, which is on my bedside stand. I, I read it frequently, and many, many NBA fans uh, refer to this awesome book by Bill Simmons. So, yeah, anyway, Basketball Love Story is taking up my time, and I'm, I'm honestly not ashamed of it, Patrick, because it's awesome. Well, you shouldn't be ashamed of a very well-done documentary. And the fact that you compared it to a Ken Burns documentary, I guess that says a lot about it. I hope so. That was my, my tagline to kind of get people in, and I, and I hope that they will – and I'm really serious. I mean, it, it is that level of, of depth. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've got like – I don't know. I don't want to go into details. It, you need to check it out if you're a basketball fan. All right. Well, listeners, if you are enjoying the show, we wanted to ask for your help. We would love to realize a goal of having the podcast represented on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, we've spoken not necessarily ill of Rotten Tomatoes before, but we're not big fans of the way that Rotten Tomatoes aggregates work. That being said, we think it'd be great to have our uh, emotional <laughs> review-based opinions on there to help offset some of the overly technical ones. Uh, and the way we can do that is we need to reach 200 iTunes reviews. Now, this is the only criteria we don't meet. We meet everything else that they want for podcasts, except for 200 iTunes reviews. Now, we know that if even a small amount of you listening were to go on iTunes right now on your computer, drop us a quick five-star review and a few words. The, the words are what's important here to count as a review. Uh, just a sentence about what you enjoy about the show. Maybe mention your favorite ep episode or something like that. We could get to this in a heartbeat, and that would be really cool. So if you have time and you're so inclined, we would love your help reaching that. Uh, it would mean the world to us. Lastly, just want to give a quick plug to our friend Matt and his show, Next Best Picture Podcast, as award season is ramping up. He has got the coverage that you need to hear. So uh, here's what he has to say about what his show has to offer. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the filmmaking industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Okie dokie. And with that, we are ready to rock, Patrick. It's time. Let's so, do it. spoiler warning, first and foremost, we landed on the moon. Oh, darn, I ruined it. No. Um, <laughs> that being said, there is some stuff in this film that I personally did not know, uh, the history was not aware of. So go into this one, you know, go into this one fresh. I, I would recommend that you do see this movie before listening to this conversation, but it is a historical event. So, you know, if you want to listen to us, you can listen to us. Just do so at your own risk. We always like to start with one word takeaways. So, Patrick, I haven't heard from you yet exactly what you felt about this film. So give it to me. What did it uh, do for you? Well, this was a interesting experience, to say the least. 
the word that I pulled from this, the word that I could only sum up as my emotional experience would do is unexpected. And I'm a huge fan of biopics. We've talked about a number of them on the podcast. And I really thought I knew what I was in for going into this because not only do I love biopics, but I love, love, love the space program. I, if I can, at least once every few years, pop in From Earth to the Moon, the HBO series that's narrated by Tom Hanks. It's a fantastic miniseries with very high quality um, filmmaking and narratives that talks about essentially the history of the space program, beginning with JFK's speech all the way up, I think, through Apollo 16. I'm not quite sure. I know I, it, I, it kind of loses momentum after the big events like Apollo 13 and, and whatnot. So if you haven't seen that, I'd recommend finding it. It's fairly inexpensive on Amazon if you want to get the discs, or you could probably find it digitally somewhere. In any case, I knew the basic story points of this event. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, first on the moon, footprint in the sand or in the stuff, whatever it's called, moon debris. But I left the theater less wild by what I saw, although I did have that, but really more contemplative. And I was surprised by that. I actually, to tell you the truth, I walked away from First Man in a similar way that I walked away from Dunkirk, going, man, that was, I don't know. How do I feel about that? And I'm just like, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. I'm like, what did I experience here? Because from the first shot to the last shot, it was incredibly consistent, but it was not what I was feeling like I was going to come out of going, man, that was so great. You know, it wasn't like interstellar or gravity. It it was just something that I was both excited and cautious to talk about because I thought that I knew that I was going to have this kind of conversation. And I realized that it wasn't going to be this kind of conversation. It was going to be that kind of conversation. It was really more about the man himself, not the mission. And I found myself very, very, a, inter, not entertained by that, but I found myself very satisfied with that, and I didn't expect it. Well, that's awesome. I, you know, it's definitely not what I expected either. And I had a buddy of ours actually text me after he got out of the theater, and he said, "Wow, that was a spiritual experience." And I, I kind of resonated with what he said, and I think that's along the lines of what you're getting at as well. There's just this feeling about the event. And seeing it portrayed in the way that it is, that it's hard to put your finger on what it does to you, <laughs> um, emotionally, mentally, etc. It's a special thing, kind of like Dunkirk. We knew what happened. We knew the result. But watching it play out in that manner is something you know, very different. Exactly. Well, for me, I'm going to go with the word breathtaking. And I mean that in a very literal sense. I have not had a cinematic experience quite like this one since La La Land, and I guess that's just not a coincidence. Um, Damien Chazelle, to me, is a prodigy, and I really think that he just has a special talent for crafting films that are so immersive, they affect you not just mentally and emotionally, but physically as well. I saw First Man in IMAX, and it was unlike anything I've ever witnessed. I, I cannot even describe or compare it to anything because of how unique it was. I felt it so strongly. I mean, 
in my bones and in my soul from the physical things like every rattle of a loose bolt to the dramatic tension of Neil's struggle with his daughter's death and his drive to further mankind um, further than we've ever been. I I was enthralled. I was engrossed. And I guess as my one word takeaway suggests, I honestly was sometimes even holding my breath and unable to breathe. So I'm still a little bit in shock that this film managed to meet my sky high expectations, but it did, Patrick. It really did. It's an incredible movie and one that I think deserves to be seen more than once, not only because I think it needs cinematic love, but because it just needs to be experienced in multiple viewings. Yeah, and if that second viewing is IMAX, or if you have not seen it in IMAX, make that second viewing IMAX if you have the ability and the, the funds available to do that. I definitely, I just cannot recommend it enough. I never recommend IMAX. We never do that. <laughs> but this is one where I think that it warrants being seen that way. Well, you and I love biopics, as you stated, and a very important thing to remember about this film is that it's Neil's life that's being covered. It's not just the moon landing, hence the title of the movie. Damien Giselle tries to get us in the right headspace, but, you know, it's hard to get us there. I'm curious, how did you feel about how he handled the story and keeping it just on Neil? I know you said that you you liked that, you found it satisfying. Did you have any problems with Neil being, the word I've seen used or thrown around is emotionless um, in his demeanor, or... Did you connect with him emotionally just fine? Well, first up, let me just say that I think that that was the biggest surprise because it's it's risky to allow an astronaut to supersede the the wow of the event because when we think about that event, we're yes, we're thinking about Neil Armstrong being the first. But as Americans, as people, as the movie alluded to, this was probably the most watched event in history from a world standpoint. Like this was a game changer for the world. It really was a giant leap for mankind. And for Damien Chazelle to make that the secondary piece of the narrative, to let that be the, this is just what's happening in the background. He's eventually going to land on the moon and be the first guy is incredibly risky because you're making an investment in an actual person. You're basically saying the life of the individual is not going to be defined by his events, but by who he is as a person and specifically as a family man. I think that the stoicism of Neil Armstrong was compelling. I think that's the only word that I can think of to describe that for me personally. I felt like because Gosling's, performance was so consistent throughout you begin to believe that that stoicism that existed in neil armstrong as a person was very real like it wasn't like he was stoic and then moved to emotional or he was emotional and then moved to stoicism before his daughter died after his daughter died he was the same guy affected differently for sure but he was consistent in the way in which he approached how he lived with his family and with the space program as an astronaut. And I feel like that was successful for me. I, I really, I like that. I gravitated towards it. No pun intended. 
<laughs> I think it was a great pun, uh, whether you intended it or not. I, I agree. Uh, you know, I didn't have a problem with it emotionally at all, and I was actually a little surprised when I came home and started seeing people complaining about it and calling it cold and distant. And so I thought a little bit more about it, and I was like, well, I guess I guess I could see that. If, if you need your characters to all be warm and friendly and, and happy and have that fuzzy demeanor about them, but that's not Neil Armstrong. And by all accounts, reading some interviews with uh, screenwriter Josh, I don't remember what his name is, Josh Singer uh, afterwards, he specifically talks about how they did their homework. Like, this is Neil <laughs> to the T. Like, Neil is a very methodical, technical-minded person. He is not a displayer of great emotion um, in most cases. And so... They were just being realistic with it. And what really surprised me, Patrick, was that I bought it. Because the best thing about Gosling's performance here to me is that he managed to not be charming. It, in and of itself is a very difficult task for that man. Because we see him as the guy from La La Land or the guy from Crazy Stupid Love or the kid from the Mickey Mouse Club. There's so many roles that we see his charm. That for him to maintain that stoicism is an incredible feat of acting because I bought it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I really liked the way that the story took place. The length of the film didn't bother me at all. Um, I was completely engaged in it from the opening moments of, of the space flight uh, test all the way to the end. I loved the way that Chazelle married the two sections of the film where we, we go back and forth between these dramatic pieces of time passing and and these big moments uh, pushing us forward in the space flight exploration uh, goal toward our exploration goals so I, I loved it I thought it was done really really well and I found lots of stuff compelling about while focusing on Neil things like thoughts that came to my mind I'd never had occurred to me like the fact that Buzz Aldrin is I mean he's like what minutes if not seconds behind neil armstrong but nobody talks about buzz aldrin being the first man on the moon like it's kind of ridiculous in a in a way that we hero worship the person um that is the first to put a foot down when another person's put a foot down you know, right behind him um and and i i loved that i was able to gain a respect for him through mm -hmm. the display of his character his character he's also kind of a He's kind of a jerk. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. But in a way that made sense, right? In that yeah. pilot way. Right. And I think when I, when I watch this movie, I think that all of that is very intentional in that what Chazelle's trying to do is get us to feel somewhat stoic. Because if we look at every, I say every, if we look at some of the major space program movies, like, Apollo 13 or the right stuff or even things like from the earth to the moon. There's a real sense of drama patriotism that comes from that, a sense of look what we did. And I think what Chazelle is doing very successfully is allowing us to feel what an individual feels. This individual that feels this immense sense of pressure of having to take on these things and having to process what will this mean for my family? What will this mean for my wife and my relationship? What will this mean for my kids? How can I deal with this in light of my daughter's passing? And I feel like 
Chazelle wanted us to get into Neil's heart, into his persona, and not celebrate the accomplishments of the space program. And that's really difficult to do because we want that as Americans, as people that want to be entertained and we want to pump our fists and say, yes, look what we did. Chazelle's like, no, let's let's take a step back and let's focus on the reality of the, I want to say the dark side, the dangers, the drama of being a part of the space program. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today and he said, I was at the Air and Space Museum in DC looking at the equipment and some of the stuff that they've preserved. And I would be insanely frightened based on the way this stuff was built back in the 60s. I mean, compared to the stuff we have now, I mean, we feel so safe with all these new electronics and double-plated stuff. This is primitive stuff that they're flying. I mean, it's basically a flying tin can that they're just hoping works. And we got to think that the space program as a whole was still in its infancy. I mean, this thing was less than a decade old when we landed on the moon, or at least in terms of big accomplishments. And I think Chazelle really makes that known through the eyes of Neil Armstrong that we didn't have the answers. We were st we were explorers, but he was showing us that risky side with Neil's life. Yeah, he, he really was. And I, I've had the same exact takeaway you did, as just or as your friend is re referencing, where you're watching this and you're like, this is insane. This is this is crazy. Like, why are we even attempting this? And and how the heck did we actually succeed? And that's what this movie is showing us. It's showing us what goes into actually succeeding at something like this on the human level. What the what the cost and you know what what kind of intelligence and determination it takes, um, and what kind of family assistance it takes. You know, in the form of people like Janet, Neil's wife. Um, who has an interesting role in this film. And I wondered how this played for you, how their relationship was taken. Because another criticism that I've seen uh, from some is not only about the pacing, but is that maybe it had too much of Neil's home life and that, you know, Janet didn't have enough of a big role in the film. Like she needed to be featured more. Or you either needed to take it out or give it, more of a, a fair kind of screen time type deal. So how did you feel about their relationship as it was portrayed to us? You know, it took a bit to get used to because having experienced other movies where wives have either no part of the story or they are immensely part of the story, I felt like hers was pretty balanced. I felt like Claire Foy, who did not realize she is dragon tattoo girl wow we saw the trailer for the girl in the spider's web and i'm like that's the same actress you've got to be kidding me oh insane but her portrayal of janet armstrong was very strong i think it was just as not stoic but i felt was, like was it arm strong it was <laughs> it was it was arm strong for sure and but she did not kneel to her husband okay <laughs> she was <laughs> oh my gosh the digression is happening um i really attached myself to to her portrayal uh or to her character or to, to janet as a whole i don't know how their relationship was in real life my dad was telling me that he believes that after that event that 
at some point they may have separated, they may have divorced. I don't know exactly. She divorced him in the 90s. Okay. So quite a bit afterwards. Um, but I felt like Chazelle was – when you tell the story of a person's life, this is what I'm beginning to understand. Uh, there's an opportunity for for a documentary, for me to be a part of a documentary. And one of the biggest challenges is – what is the story that you're going to tell? Now, this is not a documentary. This is a biopic. But even that, any kind of story that you tell about a person's life, you've got to decide what that story is. Documentaries are a little bit tougher because you're capturing footage and you're not you're not crafting the story. You're allowing the footage and the interviews and the questions to tell that story for you. And I think Chazelle, along with Josh Singer and Neil Armstrong, were trying to figure out what story do we want to tell. And it seemed to me like Chazelle wanted to say the centerpiece of his life is going to be his anchor to his family. And we need to allow that to germinate and breathe a little bit, because if that's going to be the story, we need to bring her in and we need her to be a significant part of that story that we're telling. And I felt like they did that really well, that they were able to give us just enough of her give us a few key scenes with her confronting him or talking to him, seeing her interact with him in order to establish that level of importance to her and the kids to his life. Yeah. I was grateful to get to see his relationship with her and with his kids because it all leads up to that very emotional moment at the end. And it wouldn't have the emotional effect on us if we did not have the right setup for that. And the thing that stood out to me was that Neil was not an awful person, right? Neil maybe had issues trying to convey his feelings or dealing with the grief that came from his daughter's death. He couldn't talk that out. That's a very common thing. That's normal. But there are moments we see them at the dinner table that they were just a happy family, right? Just a normal family who happened to have one of them who goes to work and then ultimately is building up towards going to the moon. And you can see how the relationship strain begins to develop and get tighter and tighter and tighter as the stakes get higher and higher and higher. So when he's just a test pilot, yes, there's a level of fear there. There's a level of death that could come, but you see it get ratcheted up and you see her start to be worn down by his inability to communicate over time mm-hmm. that, you know, she handles it well at first and it just keeps building and the pressure is, is on. And so that dramatic relationship is following the pressure points of the same, like along the same path as the, you know, technical side of the space exploration story. Yeah. And it's brilliantly interwoven in my opinion. And I think that it was very important to me that, Chazelle did this and acknowledged the sacrifices that are made on the family side by both people like Janet and people like Gus's wife, mm-hmm. seeing seeing the scenes with that family and how they're affected by his tragic loss yeah, and how enduring all of this anguish helped drive Neil on his journey towards this actual achievement. Like The thing is that None of this comes without these kind of costs. And you can't go to space in a vacuum. People don't train and suddenly become able to accomplish these things. 
that people are affected and gosh, like it's, it's just such a great reminder that I don't think we see enough of in biopics. We see so many biopics that are focused on that one character and anybody that is circling them is kind of, I don't know. They're just shown in relation to the main character. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. So what I'm saying is they're, they're shown as points of reference as to why the main character is the way he is. I felt like Jan has agency and it plays out there at the end, especially, but even throughout, she seems to have agency always in this relationship. So two things I want to say, first of all, I think what Chazelle does here in first man is he, he recognizes and accentuates the ugliness of the space program. And there were a couple of key moments that really stood out to me, um, particularly in light of where our culture is right now. And I don't know why this stood out to me. Yes, I do. Um, where we're going through this montage of it's after the Apollo one plugs out test it. We, we move forward and we get the big rocket that's being built and you have all this stuff that's happening. And in contrast to that, there is a, a protest by a group of, black individuals and there's this one particular guy who would who's preaching a poetically saying i don't have no food but whitey's going to space or i don't remember the actual thing but there's this re- it's awesome it's it, an it's an it, awesome like uh gosh why can't i think of the word just Slam this poetry essentially yeah and that moment really sort of solidified the other side of what the space program was being looked at from people that were not part of it. I mean, it's a great achievement. 1969 was an incredible year, but it came after one of the worst parts of our uh, worst parts of that decade with a ton of stuff that was going on that was just negative. We needed to land on the moon as Americans because there was so much bad stuff going on. But at that time, and that particular sequence, I got to experience like, hey, you know what? Not everybody's on board with this. It really does look like we could be using this money to help all of us. And instead, we're going to the moon. What are we doing with that? What's the point of that? And and I think what Chazelle is showing us is that, man, not everybody liked this. Maybe this wasn't a great achievement. Maybe what we were doing, you know, if you take out the actual achievement of landing on the moon, was all of this worth it? Is it worth the wake of danger, the wake of lives lost, which Chazelle was not, um, he was not, I I can't think of the word. He wasn't shy about bringing to the forefront. And I think that was intentional. I think he wanted to, I think he wanted to show us through Neil's life. Look, not everything about the space program was patriotic and wonderful. And look what we did. It was really about the fact that, People get hurt, literally, emotionally. And for him, you know, he wasn't military. And so Janet Armstrong, I asked when I, I was talking to my wife and my dad about this after the movie, and we were dialoguing about the fact that this wasn't really something she expected. I mean, he is a civilian pilot. He's not a military guy, so he didn't have the kind of, I'm going to be gone for long periods of time like Gus Grissom did, or maybe Ed White. These are people that whose wives already dealt with the fact that being military people, they were going to be gone for long periods. And as he got more connected, more involved with the space program, 
and more responsibility placed on him, you could see that tension building between him and Janet, where it wasn't just him going to an eight to five. It wasn't just him saying, yeah, I'm going to be gone for a few days. No, he was gone for weeks, months at a time. And I can't even imagine that. I mean, imagine I mean, you were deployed for a while, but imagine being married and not just saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to live in Africa for a month, but saying, nope, I'm going to be in space for 60 days. And this has never been done before. I can't imagine how that would make my wife feel knowing that she's going to potentially be without her husband temporarily or even permanently. Yeah, well, that's the handling of that is one of the things that I love the most about this is unlike the right stuff. And I'm not sure how Apollo 13 is handled. It's probably a little different, but the right stuff is a very apt comparison because we have some of the same characters in play here. And the events of that are directly what led to our space program's creation and um, getting this thing off the ground. Uh, you know, there's a swagger about those military types and even about just the test pilots that a lot of these guys have. And that comes with ego, kind of like you think of jet fighter pilots, like top gun pilots. They have a certain sense of confidence about them. And Chazelle did a great job of grounding these guys and not letting that take over. Like, we see that. We know that they are confident in that their abilities and that they are driven people. But he still highlights the fact that, you know, those are those are not traits that dictate your everyday life and your everyday decision making. Those are things that happen that everybody wants to focus on because it's dramatic or entertaining. Um, and I really enjoyed that because it it does. It reminds me of going on deployment. And I thought about it frequently when watching this. You know, people go away as soldiers to Afghanistan for six, seven, eight, nine, twelve month tours. And those spouses of those people had no idea if those men were going to come back or those women were going to come back. And it's very similar to that. And it is an incredibly scary feeling. Watching Janet listen to the radio was torture. I mean, it was absolute torture. And that's a you know credit to the filmmaking as well, because we know what happens in the story. Like we know when kind of things are going to play out if you know the history at all. So when you can take a dramatic moment that I know the ending of and still make me feel worried about what's going to happen. That's a major feat. And uh, Chazelle was able to do that to affect us emotionally. But the technical aspects of this film are something that is going to be talked about for a long time. I fully believe. I remember sitting there when that first scene came on Patrick and I was just, floored i mean just completely jaw to the ground couldn't believe what i was seeing with neil going into the atmosphere in this rickety piece of junk and i was just amazed at the sensory experience that this whole film gave me it was unlike anything that i think cinema has ever produced for me before um, and I wondered for you, did it enhance the way that you took in this story and what you may have learned about it? It sounds like you actually had a lot more knowledge than maybe I did even about the history um, of seeing the space program in action. Or did it ever, was it ever so much sensory overload that it was distracting for you? Which, which was it for you? It wasn't sensory overload. I think more than anything, it 
it set the table for what I was going to experience. And Chazelle's very cautious about giving us big cinematic spatial, and I don't mean spatial like geometric, but I mean like space sequences. And when you do that few and far between, you are adding a lot more emotional emphasis to those things because Chazelle to me doesn't, he doesn't hang on big space moments like gra- like in gravity or even interstellar in some ways. Um, and we may differ on that, but I didn't feel that what I felt was the moments that we had that dealt with the action, the action pieces became more dramatic because of their infrequency. This wasn't a movie about event after event after event. The pieces that stood out, the pieces that I knew were going to come up because they affected the space program as a whole, and particularly Neil Armstrong as we get more into the movie, by starting with that almost jarring, like, in-your-face, I'm-in-the-cockpit-with-him moment, we got to experience a personal struggle, a personal experience with with Neil Armstrong. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a great way to start the start the film. Yeah, I I'm with you 100% here. They all worked for me and it was because it wasn't about the event necessarily that was taking place that the focus still always remained on the character, the man himself and or the the people at the heart of whatever event was taking place. Like in that opening scene by putting us in that cockpit, it was amazing how it made us feel the, how it made me f- realize the kind of physical and mental toll it takes to do what he's doing. Like I'm more focused on Neil the man and watching him try to not pass out and die because he plummets to the earth than I am the fact that he's actually taking the, the craft into the atmosphere. Like, does that make sense? Like the act, the act of the actual plane going in the atmosphere at this point is less interesting to me than watching him go through the rigors of trying to achieve that and what it took. Um, And this plays out again, like the editing in this film is incredible. The sound is magnificent. (laughs) I, people joke all the time about, they don't know the difference between sound mixing and sound editing, right? Well, this is going for Oscar after Oscar. And you're going to see this come up because this is what it is. and, And this is, you may never realize how big of a role sound plays in most films, but until you see something like this, this is where sound is used like Dunkirk in a lot of ways in similar in that it's so evocative. Um, and it, it played out the most for me in the scene where Apollo one explodes, which was almost my connecting point, but I didn't know this was coming. I did not know this history and let me tell you, um, the way that it is shot, it's devastating. Uh, it's, it's devastating, but it is also so respectful. And this is why I respect and love Chazelle so much is the way that he does a scene like this where he, he puts them in this pod. The flash fire begins to happen and he trusts us to know what's going to happen. Like we don't, need to see these men go through suffering at this point. We're smart enough to understand what this means, that they're stuck in here and they can't get out and that there's a fire. And there's just this quick cut to the outside of the pod door and this 
incredibly loud. Again, I talk about feeling it in your bones. Poof sound where the kind of explosion internally combusts inside the pod. And I mean, it hurt like emotionally. I was just, I was, it was, I was rough. It, It took me a minute to recover from that. When you watch the miniseries from earth to the moon, there is an episode that is dedicated to this event. And that was how I knew about it was from this miniseries and that was the visual vantage point that I had going into this scene. And when I saw the typography on the screen that said Apollo 1 plugs out test, I knew what was coming. And I was like, what's going to happen here? This is where one of the unexpected moments came for me. And like you, this was almost going to be my connecting point as well because of the way that Chazelle does it. So in, And I'm not really spoiling anything. But there is a lot more drama that happens in the miniseries version of this than in this moment. That poof sound, that oof, and that just quiet. And then the next thing you see is Buzz, or not Buzz, but Neil at the White House or that, that dinner talking and schmoozing, just doing his thing. To me, I think it amplified what Chazelle was has been doing throughout the movie is asking the question, how does X affect Neil's life? How does Y affect Neil's life? These were events that took place. And the question is always being asked, how is he going to respond to this? That phone call afterwards, the stoicism of that, you could tell that he was broken by it, but the way he responded was so consistent with how he'd responded to everything else. One of the moments after that, that I thought was just really a gut punch was hearing the newscast in the background and hearing them talk about how they left the bodies in the capsule for five hours until they pulled them out. Eventually I didn't know that. Like I I thought, I mean, I didn't ever think about that, but everything is so matter of fact about first man. And I think that's where, I was surprised because nothing felt overly dramatic, even though it was. It felt very much like this is what happens. And to quote Neil Armstrong, we have to fail down here so that we don't fail up there. It's all, and, and that my dad, I, I heard him next to me. He just goes, mm. when Neil, yeah. when Neil goes, um, he's asked, well, uh, cost. The guy yeah. asks him about the cost and he, he goes, well, it's yeah. kind of too late for that. You're it's asking me to be asking about that. Yeah. And I think that sums up really the tone of Chazelle's narrative here. Is he's saying, this is the ugliness again. It's, it's just, it's so on point. And I think sometimes you don't need drama. You don't need to create drama to feel emotionally weighted that you have to just experience those moments like guys like Neil did via a phone call which is why I'm glad that he didn't over, overly dramatize the plugs out catastrophe. Because yeah, it's a hit so well. Yeah. Even with Neil's reaction, like you said, being so stoic and then just breaking the glass in his hand and not even realizing it and looking down and being like, oh gosh, I just cracked this thing in my hand like because I was squeezing it so hard. The, the way that that's shot, um, it's so well done. Uh, and I think... You're right. The focus being still on how things affect Neil and how it 
further drives him to what we look at as, oh my gosh, that we achieved something, but what did it cost to get there? Well, he's driven to achieve this now because he has additional motivation. He, he can't, he couldn't imagine failing and allowing these deaths to be for nothing. Like it's very important to him that they be accounted for, right? And that they be paid off. Uh, in the end. So I would, I would slightly disagree with that, but not really. I would not call it motive, motivated, but more pressure. I yeah, think okay. that that's a good word for I don't that. think that at this point he could give up because of maybe a negative pressure as opposed to saying, I'm not going to let them down. He's saying, I can't let them down. We're too far into this now. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, the other incredible well, they're all incredible, all the technical pieces, but the one that is so memorable, and I can tell you, it's got to be one of the best pieces of filmmaking I've seen all year, if not in years, and that's the moon landing. Even knowing it's coming, for me, this is where, and the, the whole film, Justin Hurwitz's score has been phenomenal. Um, it is incredible. The man is such a talent when it comes to music. But what goes on during the moon landing is fantastic. It's what stuck out to me the most was, and I don't know if this is how it really went down or if this is overly dramatized, but I really don't care. I don't know if it was this close to being a failed landing, but when you see them going down, and they're actually doing this. It goes from this incredible joy to things not going perfectly right. And Buzz is scared and worried and asking Neil what he's doing. And Neil is having to make a choice as a commander and as a leader. And he has this other man that he's responsible for his life as well at this point. And what stood out was you get to a point where you're this close and you either succeed or you die. Like, if they didn't land that lander on the moon, it's over. Their their lives have failed. But it was important enough to take that shot because they were close enough to being there. Um, and that was really felt by me during this sequence. And, you know, just kind of the acknowledgement of both of them that like, you know, this is what we're here for and this is what we're going to attempt to do. And, you know, whether we, whether we, whether we do it or not, we've been trained for this. We're going to give it our best shot. We are the best chance at making it happen right here, right now. And we're going to go for it. And that was really powerful and added to the emotion of me watching this moon landing, but it was just, it was technically brilliant as well. what did you think? I loved it. And it goes down and as, as one of the best cinematic set pieces that that I've experienced it it really for me personally it compares to the black hole sequence in interstellar in terms of the visual connectivity that I have to it and when you have somebody like Justin Hurwitz doing the score there was a lot about it that you would expect to be more dramatic and more amplified and it wasn't it was very simple it was very scaled back and it worked it was so juxtaposed, opposite, whatever it was. It was so perfectly balanced in what you expected and what actually took place and what you heard 
that it ratcheted up that tension. And I think that for a lot of these moments, whether they were action set pieces, whether they were conversations, Chazelle takes our experience as an audience and trusts that we're going to connect the dots and realizes that we're not going into this movie figuring out what happened, but figuring out how we got there and interpreting as best as he can what people were experiencing from an audience perspective as they're listening through a radio or with Neil and Buzz as they were attempting to land. All this stuff is very experiential and less about fact. And I think that's what really elevates biopics more than anything else is when you capture the emotional essence of a person's life or the events that really define their lives. I'm currently reading through Steve Jobs' biography, and I I really love it because it it's not about the events. It's about how he affects those events and how those events affect him and how he affects other people around him, which I think is when you can dramatize that on the big screen, I think that's what makes a biopic so successful. I mean, we've got a slew of these things coming out. We've got Bohemian Rhapsody coming out in a month. We've got Welcome to Marwin, which is based on a true story. I know it's not actually a biopic, but we've got all these stories that are going to be told on the big screen about people's lives. And the reason why is because we only know pieces and parts. We know the highlights, but these directors and writers are not trying to just give us facts. They're trying to give us emotional connection. And First Man is one of the more successful ones for me because we get that emotional connection to the man and to the people around him that all this is affected by. Yeah, and you're so right. And I, and I love that it's shown to us as well in that scene by Buzz, who's been kind of a jerk and kind of almost resistant at times to things giving way to Neil and, and putting his trust in Neil and in Neil's ability and putting his life in his hands. I mean, as well, I don't know that he has a choice, but emotionally he, he is able to calm himself and let it go and let it happen. Right. And I, this goes all the way towards the end of the film. And so as the sequence ends, I love that, love how this ends. And even though I will say I've done some research and I can find no record anywhere. And I've actually looked at a legitimate record that NASA has online of everything that has been left on the moon, including feces collecting devices. Um, yeah, so that's up there. But there's no record of a bracelet, uh, of, of his daughter's bracelet. And I, I think that there's a little bit of surrealism involved in that. And my daughter's comment coming out of it was, why didn't that float? Why did that just drop and fall to the ground? And I was like, Ashlyn, of all things. But she's right. So, but despite this, despite, despite this, uh, this maybe this did or did not happen, right? Neil did leave things on the moon. Now, whether they were emotionally significant to his daughter or not may be up for question, but it closed out what I needed to see from his story emotionally. What it, what that, accomplished for him emotionally is what we were being visually shown versus told. Yeah. And it's done in such a beautiful way, Patrick, because it's quiet. There's nothing being said. And the same thing happens later when he sees Janet again. And it's just the kiss of the fingers onto the glass 
and she touches it back and the smile between the two of them and that's it i was so so pleased that there were no words in these scenes so there's a handful of things i want to address first of all moon's gravity is one-sixth of earth's so there is gravity on the moon we weigh one-sixth of what we normally weigh so it wouldn't have floated in space like when you're in the shuttle or something like that where it just yeah whatever secondly I'm in agreement with you. I don't care that that probably wasn't true because one, the moment that we get introduced to the bracelet didn't have a dramatic, it didn't have a big narrative effect on events that took place. It's not like Neil took something significant that we could see from space, like the American flag or something like that or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a metaphor. Third, the simplicity of this movie lives in the lack of dialogue for me. There were so many fantastic moments where nothing was said. That pan around the moon from Neil's perspective, looking back at the earth, which by the way, you flat earthers out there, there you go. There's some cinematic proof for you that the earth is round because I can't see the whole earth from, from that perspective. Also, the fact is my wife, called attention to this he didn't have a lot of lines there was not a lot that he said and that's another challenge as a filmmaker is do you trust your audience to just live in those quiet moments and trust the drama there going back to the plugs out test i counted i think in my head at least four seconds after the explosion and that vantage point from outside the the pod of nothing until we cut back to Neil. And there were a lot of those moments where we were just allowed to sit on the moment. And it takes a lot of guts from a filmmaker to just say, okay, we're going to stay here in this one shot. It's uncomfortable, but we're staying here. And it really, really plays into that final shot with, with he and Janet. It's uncomfortable because we expect there to be a smile. We expect there to be some like, okay, you can breathe out. And that's what surprised me about that last moment is that he didn't look at her and she didn't look at him. They didn't smile. They just put each other's hands or they put their hands up to the glass, black, two, three, directed by Damien Chazelle. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. How do you, how, how do you resolve that? Because there, you, you expect, you expect from a movie going experience, you expect there to be a smile or like, okay, we can finally resolve this. What I took away from that was this is hard and we're going to be affected by this from now on. This is something that's going to be, we're going to have to live with what has just taken place, whether it's the fame of being the first man to walk on the moon or potentially having a disease from the moon. But you didn't feel that. You didn't feel a sense of I didn't feel a sense of resolution from that last shot. And I think that was I think that was intentional. I I felt the resolution I needed to feel, which was I'm glad you're home. Like that's the resolution I felt was I'm glad that you're back. I mean, this was a we've I've made it back. I did the thing. I accomplished the task and I'm here and we are seeing each other again. And that that's a positive thing. It doesn't. What, what we don't get resolution for is where the story goes from there. This this doesn't, like you're saying, it doesn't, we don't find out how Neil's life changes and 
how his relationship with Janet, you know, goes forth. It doesn't give us a 30 years later, they get divorced and yada, 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 yada. It's all about just the resolution of she was worried. She was scared death that he was leaving and not going to come back. And now he's back. Yeah. And they're acknowledging it. And the interesting thing, Aaron, is the fact that the last thing we get before we get back on Earth is the limb taking off from the moon. We don't get to see that return trip. We don't get to see any kind of issues that may have taken place on reentry. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that could have gone wrong. And Chazelle chose to, again, let us as an audience trust that he was going to get home. Uh, this goes back to what Patrick Willems talks about when it comes to like what we misconstrue as plot holes. Like you could make the argument, well, why didn't we get to see the return trip? Because that's just as important. I mean, he could have died then. No. The story that Chazelle is telling is not that he got home safely, but that he accomplished what he needed to accomplish. And that last shot just emphasizes the fact that it's good to be home. I did what I needed to do. Okay, let's move on. I agree. Well, I have a question. Did you miss not seeing the flag planted? No, not at all. And after I left the theater, I was like, people that had that kind of criticism need to shut up. This is, I was genuinely mad after watching First Man and going, how dare you prejudge a movie and the lack of patriotism based on the fact that you don't even know what it's about. That was the biggest surprise for me is I'm going, this was not about the flag. This was never about being an American. It was never about our accomplishments. There are enough books and movies and miniseries out there that say, look how great we are as a country. We did it. We beat the Russians. This wasn't a movie that was trying to celebrate that. And the fact that we didn't get to see the flag planted, if we had gotten to see that, that would have ruined Chazelle's vision, in my opinion. It would have completely derailed everything that had happened up to that point. Completely agree. I 100% echo everything you're saying. I was angry as well. I was like, what is wrong with these idiots? Like, this is why you don't jump on a bandwagon before you see the movie. There was there were two majorly patriotic, prominent flag placements. One, you see it right there by the lander on the moon. And then another one, I don't remember where it, when it happens. It's after one of the space sequences, and you see his son, and they're raising a flag at home um, in a very, you know, dramatic kind of way. That's uh, it, speaks to like a patriotic act that we would all do at our own home. So yeah, I thought it was ridiculous and, uh, and anger inducing too. And I, and I hope that if anybody is listening to this podcast at this point who hasn't seen the film and for some reason you're listening to us and you haven't seen it because of that reason, well, please go see the movie because you'll be fine. Um, last up, Patrick, did you just in curiosity, curiosity, you know, what did you think of the performances? Because this movie is going to get a lot of Oscar buzz. Um, so whether you think they're Oscar worthy or not, what stood out to me as a supporting cast, I didn't realize who was in it until I was doing some homework, uh, putting some notes together beforehand and noticed the names in the supporting cast. And I just thought they all knocked it out of the park. I love all of these actors as it is, you know, Kyle Chandler, Jason Clark, I, I, um, Corey Stoll. Like I love these actors and I thought that they all did such a great job and, and Claire Foy is magnificent in her very brief amount of time on screen. She's memorable, and that's that's pretty special too. Well, I I like them all, and they didn't all necessarily wow me. Gosling's performance was great. Um, Foy's performance was great. I, I look at Kyle Chandler, and I'm always going to think of him as coach from Friday Night Lights, and he had that kind of 
coach persona as as Deke Slayton. Again, because I've kind of experienced these characters in other narratives, I'm I had honestly I had trouble keeping up with who was who. Like, oh, is that Buzz? Okay, that's Buzz, and that's that's Gus. Okay, great. But I think the fact that they all meshed really well, like I wasn't distracted by any one particular person, was uh, was an accomplishment in and of itself. And I feel like the characters that stood out to me were the ones that needed to. So for me, it was it was Janet and Neil first and foremost, and everybody else kind of played along with that. Well, good. That's uh, that's that's all you can ask for. As long as they were all satisfying and worked, that's what's important. Well, if you're ready, I guess we can move into our connecting point, um, which happens to be the same. So I am going to let you lead the charge and share it with the world. What did we decide on? I am planting my emotional flag in the ground. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be the conversation between Neil and his wife at first but then the conversation that he has with his wife and kids at the table the night before he goes on this this mission to the moon. There was a lot about it that I connected with. First and foremost, I think that this was the moment that if you're going to give Claire Foy some, some Oscar love, it's going to be this scene where she confronts him, where she says, I'm not going to tell our children this stuff. I'm not going to be the one. You are going to be the responsible dad. You are going to be their father right now, and you're going to tell them what they should expect, that there is a possibility that you will not come home. This is one of the first times that I think we get to see Janet really becoming vocal emotionally. It reminded me a lot of, (laughs) in some ways, the progression of of Adrian's character in the Rocky franchise where she gets a little less timid as the franchise goes on. And there's this great moment in Rocky three where she goes, she just confronts him on the beach and says, what's the truth? And she's just yelling at him. And I I love relationships like that. Not where wives yell at their husbands, but where you see a sense of, of strength from a wife because of the relationship that she and her husband have. You can only have that strength if you trust one another. When you can speak into a person's life enough to say, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And for Janet, that was her way of saying, you need to hear the truth. You cannot avoid this. You have got to talk to your children. And so then we get them sitting down. And again, it's those quiet moments. Chazelle's got this awkward silence happening. And we're like, okay, what's he going to say? How does he approach this? For the entire movie, Gosling's character, Neil, is a man of few words. <laughs> uh, going back to when he is told while he's washing his hands, that you're going to command the lunar module. You're basically going to be the one that walks on the moon. And he goes, okay. I mean, it's just like, all right, there's no drama. There's no, I mean, it's just very casual. This moment with the kids is just like that, but the tension is still there. I love the fact that he's letting them ask questions, that there's there's no drama behind it. They're just asking like they would as kids. And he ends the conversation by saying, "Are there any other questions?" Like he's a like like he's working for the for the press, you know? Like he's he, he's giving a press conference. 
But that's what Neil does. That's who Neil is. And I don't feel like he's disconnected from his family. I just feel like he doesn't know how. Who knows how to address that? You're going to the moon, potentially. You're going to die. The president's press secretary or staff writer is making a speech assuming that you and your pilot are not going to make it off the moon. I mean, we're getting all this stuff as an audience, and I don't know what I would say. I don't know how I would approach my son Carson and saying, I'm going to the moon. Do you have any questions? I mean, that would probably be what I say. But the whole scene itself just feels very quiet and very simple, but at the same time, so very much honest because you don't know what you can, what you're supposed to say in that moment. There's nothing poetic about I'm going to the moon and I may not come back. There's honesty in it. There's, um, there's delicateness and there's also some harshness that exists. There's just a slew of emotions that I felt going into it. And, and that's part of why it was my, uh, what my connecting point. Yeah. All the same reasons, man, for me, uh, you know, I love I love that it was the natural progression of her character and we see her strength kind of growing throughout the film and her getting closer and and she's always kind of forthright with him, but this is that moment where she puts her foot down. And uh you know, I actually wrote down this this was her Oscar moment as well. So if you if you're gonna have a an Oscar moment to lean on, this is that scene from an acting standpoint, the way that she portrays this event. Um with Jan talking to Neil and it's, it's needed. It's needed for our character. It's needed for Jan to have this amount of sort of closure in a way that she's making it his responsibility. And I, I was specifically drawn to the way that his two kids handled it differently. Um, and obviously they're different ages, but the, they both slayed me <laughs> in a different way. He asks the younger boy or the younger boy asks him, I don't remember which one came first. Anyway, he's he says to the younger boy, you know, it's over. And the, he says, OK, can I go outside? Like, that's his response. It's completely over his head. Right. This is what Carson would say. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, daddy's going to the moon. That's cool. Like, what's for dinner? Um, It's not comprehended by that age of a brain. And that was staggering to me, Um, especially having been a person who's deployed. Well, my children were young who they really didn't understand what I was doing or where I was going. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, his older son, oh, oh, um, he just stands up and walks over to him and he shakes his hand. And I, I kind of almost did a double take at first. Like, it's like, is that an editing? Like, is that a trick? What's going on? Like, why is he about to pull him in for the hug? You're again, we talked about those moments, right? Those uncomfortable, weird silences and, and moments that we linger in. I was waiting for the embrace. Neil's going to pull him in for a hug. We're going to get this emotional moment, but we don't. It's left there with this, this obviously relationship that's sort of broken in a way that they're not connected the way that a father and son normally would be because of all of what's led up to this. And it, it gives such a different perspective to him leaving because you realize like the world is cheering. Like we go straight into seeing everybody on these watch parties and like everybody's excited, like about the moon landing. And you realize it's not like that for the people that are leaving and the families that could be affected by this. Like we, 
truth be told, if Neil passes away on the moon and Buzz and they wreck the lander, we blink. You know, but these people's lives are altered forever. Right. These these boys and this wife. I mean, I thought it was a phenomenal job by Chazelle to show us Neil's struggle with his grief and also his devotion to his job all in that scene and just everything that was swirling around in that house uh, before he left. It was it was really harrowing to think about that, that truly like he could not come back. He might not come back. This was a scene, as I'm thinking about it, reminds me a lot of my parents separated for just a short period of time. I was grateful that they didn't eventually move into the the path of divorce, but it reminded me a lot of the conversation that they had with me and my brother and my brother and I are four years apart. And just the way in which we were told your mom and I don't love each other anymore. We're going to separate that. I don't remember the conversation. I remember being upset about it and knowing that I'd probably have to move or that my life would be significantly changed. But I feel like this has some elements of how that feels when two kids are told that their parents are getting a divorce. How do you respond to that? There's a fantastic scene in Sing Street where you have the two brothers that are responding incredibly different to their parents splitting up. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, but I feel like this is a conversation that echoes that where you have two boys who are trying to process what they're hearing. And in some ways, I feel like the younger son, maybe he's not just miscomprehending. Maybe this is just his way of protecting himself. Okay, if I don't have to talk about it, then maybe it won't happen. Or maybe I'm not, I don't have to think about the possibility of what could happen. Which is exactly the behavior his father has displayed for him with regards to how he has handled the previous child's death. Yeah. Which, so it's natural. Like, it makes perfect sense that he would be that way. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, oh, man, uh, it's, it's a stunner. And it, like, I think the way that it leads you into that phenomenal moon landing sequence, it's, it's just masterful. Yeah, it really uh, is. The way it's put together. Well, last thing I want to say before we end is, you know, I, I really hope, I think this has the potential if enough people see it and they take their kids to see it. And it's kid friendly, essentially. It's PG 13. Um, that, you know, this could provide a new spark inside of this generation for space exploration and space travel. I feel like it's sort of fallen off quite a bit. I know the government's kind of often talked about defunding NASA and Trump's done some of that. And I think this could have the effect on some kids watching it in the same way that Top Gun had an effect to create fighter pilots. You could see this and on some level see people. I mean, I know it's got some tragedy to it. So does Top Gun making the realization that like, hey, I want to be that person. I want to be on the forefront of this and I can see the appeal in that. Um, and then I also noticed this what I feel is like a direct kind of, I don't want to say dig, but I think Giselle is intentionally addressing the Trump administration's like discussion about not needing the NASA program because that's been said. Gosling or Neil Armstrong is at the beginning of the film, throughout the film, and specifically at the end when he is happily 
showing memories with his family. He's wearing this red hat. It's just a plain red hat. And gosh darn it, if that did not resemble a mega hat. Like, it felt like he was wearing the Make America Great hat. And for me, and maybe this is me, I, I could be 100% projecting, okay? But what I projected was, Make America Great by remembering that NASA has a role and that this actually is important too. Um, that's how I felt about it. I don't know why it was there. Maybe it was just a red hat, but I couldn't help but like try and equate some sort of significance to it. <laughs> well, I could, I could see that being attached. I didn't pick up on that really more than I picked up on the fact that Chazelle is probably giving a more objective vantage point of the history of the space program and the accomplishments that we made that came with tragedy that we tend to not forget about, but maybe devalue in terms of our cinematic experiences. Apollo 13 might be an exception to that rule because of the fact that the movie itself centers around a tragedy, but really about how people overcame tragedy with a bit of triumph. Um, But that's another conversation in and of itself. I feel like more than anything, Chazelle is saying this is the reality of what progress looks like. And it may be amazing, but it's not without its um, sacrifice. Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, Patrick, that's good. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, Where can people find you if they would like to talk to you online? I'm usually hanging out on Facebook and Twitter at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. If you want to get a hold of me or start a conversation or keep a conversation going, be sure to at me or tag me. That's usually the best way to get my attention. I'm also floating around our ever-growing Facebook group that is full of amazing people that have great conversations going there. So if you're not connected with us that way, please feel free to be a part of that community. There's a lot going on, a lot of things to read about, a lot of discussion to be had about not only movies like this, but also other forms of cinematic conversation and things like that. So be sure to check us out there and be a part of that. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can do that uh, primarily in the Facebook group there or on Twitter. I'm at Feelin Film. Be happy to engage and have a conversation with you. Would love to hear in your Facebook, in the Facebook group, we would love to hear your thoughts on First Man and what you took away from the film. We always love to hear connecting points that may have been different than ours. So feel free to come and share those. Next week, uh, I will be running without Patrick as he is going to leave me for sunnier skies. Um, I will be hosting the Halloween episode for the show, literally on the movie Halloween, the new remake that is coming out this coming week. And the guys from the Fear of God podcast, uh, Reed and Nathan, will be joining me for that. So should be a really good time. And I don't know if I've announced this yet or not, but the donor pick episode that will be coming to you towards the end of this month is going to be on the monster squad so the movie that patrick wanted won out and we'll be discussing that old classic it's a classic comedy film anytime you can i've seen it once but it's been a while so we'll see so anytime anytime you can you have a line that says wolfman's got nards you're in for a treat i think yeah, but anytime that's the most memorable thing about your movie, we'll see. It's a we'll memorable thing. Mm. <laughs> Scary German guy. the only guy. thing I remember. Scary German um, guy is the other one. <laughs> okay, well, be sure and uh, hit that subscribe button so that you will 
be sure and be notified when that episode drops the latest. But until then, we hope everybody has a wonderful week. Uh, keep listening. Stay positive. And keep feeling film.